Hey everyone and welcome to Sil Zero Solo, a new mini-series. This series is going to be done similar to projects I've done in the past. You might remember the Goldilocks story that was powered by Tales from the Loop. That's where I used the dice rolls to determine the results of a story and then created the story from that. This series is going to use Scum and Villainy. Scum and Villainy is a game that is, quote, forged in the dark meaning that it's based off of the original game, Blades in the Dark. Matt and I actually played Blades in the Dark once off the air, and I really liked it, but Blades in the Dark has a really specific setting. It's like a diesel punk society. It's, it's very based off of Dishonored, uh, the video game. So Scum and Villainy is basically Star Wars with the serial numbers filed off, so I'm re-stamping some serial numbers back on and using that system to create this story. If you've never played a Forge in the Dark game, don't worry, I'm gonna go over all the rules as I go along so you can understand what's going on. Special thanks to everyone on the Discord that helped me figure out how to use Scum and Villainy and will continue to help me understand it, I'm sure, in particular to Fuzzy and to Adam, you know, Adam from Force Majeure and that crazy moth guy. Oh, I'm, anyway, I'm still learning how to use the game, so if I did something wrong, or if you think there's a better way for me to do something, email me at chris at silzeromedia.com, that's S-I-L-Z-E-R-O, or hit me up on the blue sky, I'm uh, Ing Daydreams on blue sky. Without further ado, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. It's just a couple of years after the Battle of Yavin. The Rebel Alliance has scored a major victory, but has scattered to the wind. The Empire tightens its grip. The Outer Rim is still under solid control of the major crime cartels. At Hadrian Station in the Terminus system, a Jawa, a Tordarian, and a Drawl are trying to find a new pilot for their YV-929 armored freighter. The Spice Wolf. A disgraced Chadrafan pilot is waiting for his Star Tours ship to arrive, unaware he's about to spend a very long hyperspace jump with a man that will cause him endless grief. And a C-1 astromech droid is allowing himself to get captured to be sold. But this story ain't about them short aliens. It's about another group of short aliens. It's a story about a crew of information brokers. This is the story of the crew of the Tricky Fox. In Scum and Villainy, the crew has to come up with a plan. The game asks the crew to pick one of six basic plans for the job. Assault, Deception, Infiltration, Mystic, Social, and Transport. This is an infiltration job with the goal to, quote, trespass unseen. Instead of focusing on creating a very complex plan, the players roll an engagement roll, which determines how well things have gone up to the point of the first major obstacle. All of the rolls in this game are pools of D6s, and you take the highest number for the result. Each roll has a slightly different nuance that I'll explain when we get to them, but in general, 1-3 to three is a failure, uh, 4 or 5 is a success with some drawbacks, and other words are like successes with threats, and as six is a straight success, sometimes with added bonuses. If a player rolls two or more sixes, they get a critical success and get some even more additional bonuses. 
For an engagement roll, the crew starts with 1d6 and then adds and removes dice for every major advantage or disadvantage. A lot of them have to do with like the complexity of the job and how much help they have going in. The crew of the Tricky Fox has been given this job from one of their usual informants, which adds an additional d6 to the roll. So the engagement roll here is 2d6 and take the highest. The highest is 3, which means that as we start in on the action, the crew is in a quote, desperate position. We'll learn more about position as we go along. Warehouse Field 9701 is a chunk of floating cargo stations run by the Clear Act Storage Company. It's in the middle of nowhere, reachable only by a hyperspace buoy. The crew of the Tricky Fox has a simple job to do. Retrieve blueprints hidden in one of the storage containers. Their contact gave them the location of the buoy and a set of credentials that would allow them into the station. The owner of Clearax really enjoys spheres. So despite the complexity in their construction, each of the warehouse stations is spherical. There is a central spoke in the center of the sphere where the ship has been docked. Walkways move out in eight different directions. Outside of the walkways is zero gravity. Automated claws retrieve the requested cargo container and bring them to the loading station along the walkways. In the center of the spokes is a control center, where a strange collection of diminutive people are at work. At the console is the smallest of the crew, an Anzelin. You know, the tiniest people like Babu Freak or that crew that helped the Mandalorian repair that IG unit. This is Juba Leewig and she has a big pair of goggles on that's connected into the scomp link. Beside her is an Ardenian, the four-armed monkey-like species, like that pilot Rio from the Solo movie. This one's name is Fortaleza Chikasha, though he goes by Forza for short. He's wearing a very expensive green silk tunic, highlighted by a yellow silk cravat. He sits in a strange contraption, a pair of mechanical legs with a number of controls that he operates with his two lower arms and his legs with the prehensile toes. He looks nervous, but he always looks nervous during a job. Next is Nugnot, who eyes constantly scan the platform spokes, hands on his weapons. This is Karage, the muscle of the group. His jaws set, his eyes steely, and his hands long for battle. And last is a gray astromech droid, a C-series. It looks like there were once yellow markings, but they've been mostly faded and worn away. He looks a little bloated, a little bulky for his standard frame. But the most obvious difference is the presence of a small black speaker on the left side of his head dome, a fully functional vocabulator. The crew only knows him as Trey, and he's the leader. Uh, problem, boss man. But our credentials aren't working, it's asking for three-factor authentication. If I mess up again, it's gonna start sending alerts to the security. Then we slice it. Karage, watch the door. Forza, get ready to perform. When the party encounters something difficult, there are two things that have to be determined. First, the GM has to set position. The GM doesn't roll in this game, so the possible effects are determined by the player's role and their position. There are three positions. Controlled, risky, and desperate. Controlled is when the characters are their most prepared and they have the lowest negative consequences. 
Risky is the middle ground and is considered the default position, sort of like rolling against two purple in the other game. Desperate has the lowest consequences and the lowest possible outcomes. However, when players roll in a desperate position, they gain XP. So if you remember from earlier, the players set their initial position with the engagement roll. So this check is in a desperate position. When a character makes a check, they roll a number of d6s based on the number of, quote, dots they have in a particular skill. Although I don't know why they call them dots in this game, because you, the, thing is, the thing you mark is actually a, a triangle. Well, anyway, characters get some starting dots based on their playbook, which is like their job class or career from the other games. You also get base points you can place. Since the team is trying to slice into the system, this would be a hack roll from Juba. Juba has two dots in hack, so she gets two dice. Trey is also assisting, which adds an extra dice to the roll. When a character assists, that character takes on stress. There are other ways to add dice to the roll. One is using a gambit, which is like a destiny point. It's like a pool shared by the whole crew. In this episode, though, uh, they won't use any gambits because I forgot about them when I was rolling. Anyway, hack roll, 3d6. The highest result is a five. Success, but because we're in a desperate position, a serious complication. I mean, whoa. Why are you saying whoa? I thought you got in. I am mean, and because I am mean, I can see we have already triggered a security alert. We're sending a little shuttle. Oh, look, they're hailing us. But did you find the container we need? Of course I did. Spoke to row three, container TB-209. Karage, you're with me. Forza, buy us some time. The astromech and the Ugnaught ran down the catwalk of spoke three while Forza started pushing control switches on the mechanical legs he was piloting. The seat lowered itself, the hips widened while his legs went closer together, making the posture of the legs seem frail and a bit uncertain. He flipped a switch and there was a brief, high-pitched whine as the hollow projectors on the machine came to life. An extremely lifelike holographic projection covered the legs and his upper body, making him look like an elderly human man, wearing very basic clothes with a bald pate and a neatly trimmed white beard. If you ever played The Force Unleashed, it's like that one droid who could turn himself into whatever holograms there were. You know, that was like way better than the usual for the Star Wars universe. Anyway, this is how Fort supplies his trade as an actor and a con man. His scum and villainy career is that a speaker, and he uses his network of connections and silver tongue to get him into and out of trouble. Juba, darling, can you make it audio only? Okay, sure, why not? Just blippy blippy here and then boopity boopity there. In Forged in the Dark games, the GM uses clocks. They're like little pie charts that are used to track the progress of something. The complexity of a task changes how many slices there are in those clocks, and they can be used in a variety of ways. Right now, two things are happening at the same time. Trey and Karage are trying to get to the blueprints from the container, and the security team is trying to find out what's going on. So each of these things is getting a four-section clock. If the team rolls positively in any way that helps them find the blueprints, they fill up pieces of the clock until they accomplish their goal. However, there's also an opposing clock called Security Locks Down the Warehouse. When the players roll badly, that clock fills up. If that one fills up before the first, 
then the whole warehouse will be locked down. Forza rolls a sway check with Juba assisting. Juba takes stress. Two dice in a risky position rolls the highest result of three, resulting in a failure with a complication. Attention, this is ClearAx Security, and we have detected a failure in accessing your account password, and we have not received three-factor authentication. Can you please transmit your ID? Forza looks at Juba and starts motioning frantically for an ID to transmit. Juba gives a look back that tries to indicate, but did you think I had some window to the future that would have allowed me to prepare a valid ID code? that had the random hologram face of whatever name you're about to make up. But then she just shakes her head and starts making the ID. Oh, I'm so sorry, this is a mess. My grandson told me that this sort of system would be easy to use. He's the one who set me up with the container, you see, and it's been nice to have a bit more room back on the planet, but then I forgot that I left something really important inside the dresser, and we put the dresser in the container, and my grandson well he's 19 now and has a life of his own and he keeps saying he's gonna come out here to the warehouse with me and help me get it back because i've never been that great with this complex computer stuff he's out there riding them speeders and hanging out with his girlfriend and sir i just need the id transmitted please oh look at that comms broke down wondered how that happened Two ticks are filled in the security lockdown clock. Meanwhile, Karage and Trey have to find access to row three, which is floating in the air above them. Trey's astromech rockets fire and Karage goes to vault over the edge of the railing. Just outside the spoke, the gravity field is disabled, allowing the containers to float within the spherical warehouse. The two of them start their ascent towards the target container. Karage rolls a scramble check to lead the way up to the containers. He has one dice and gains one dice for Trey assisting in a risky position. Trey takes on stress. The result is a three, a failure. Unaware that the other half of the team failed to convince security, Karage and Trey moved upwards as quickly as possible. The security team on the shuttle, however, their comms failing, have keyed up the security manual on their screen and begin looking at the procedure. They've never actually had to do anything before, and they want to make sure they're doing it right. Step one is to lock the containers in place and power on gravity throughout the entire warehouse. Massive clamps thrust from the wall and clamp onto the containers. Karage has just enough time to put his feet underneath him. Failure from a risky position can result in harm, which seriously hinders a character throughout the mission and beyond. You can think of it like a critical wound from the other game. However, a character can always choose to resist the harm and take it on as stress. This creates a resistance roll, where the stress is 6 minus the highest roll on the resistance. Resistance rolls do not focus on a particular skill, but instead on a broad category. All of the character skills are organized into three broad categories, Insight, Prowess, and Resolve. A resistance roll is based on how many different skills you have a dot in, regardless of how many dots are in that category. Karage has to deal with sudden gravity, which means he has to catch himself from the fall. He chooses to resist, which is a prowess resistance, as prowess has to do with physical skills. 
Karage has a dot in all four prowess skills, so he rolls four dice to resist and gets a six as a result. He takes no harm and takes no stress. Fortunately, or perhaps unfortunately for Karage, this ain't the first time gravity's been flipped on him. Years of working near the Bespin main repulsor lifts has given him a sixth sense about these things, and the Ugnaught lands on the balls of his feet and rolls forward a couple of times to dissipate the force, realizing the containers are being pulled together into a new storage configuration. He runs across and vaults back over the railing, back onto the spoke two catwalk. Trey has already boosted himself back to safety, and has switched on his internal comm link. Juba, they switched off zero G. Load the container into the access bay. Okay, boss, what'll do? But it's starting to feel like this computer doesn't like me. Another tick is filled in the security countdown clock, moving it to three out of four. No clock ticks have progressed on the accessing the container clock. Juba rolls a hack to access the computer again. She has two dice in hack, but wanting to make sure it works, she takes the push yourself action. This allows any character to get an additional dice on a roll at the cost of two stress. This puts her roll at three dice in a risky position. And the result is three. The final tick fills in the security lockdown clock. In the lenses of her computer access goggles, Juba comes to an understanding about the warehouse computer that she missed the first time around. Normally, a warehouse would have a standard computer system, but this one's actually controlled by a droid intelligence. A very basic one, but it's there, defending against Juba's simple slicing attacks. Juba watches as every port of access she has starts to close one by one, until the only thing she has left is a direct line to the droid intelligence. Hey, wait, before you block me out, why do you care about protecting all this stuff? It's not yours, just a bunch of storage containers. Why not let us open it? Because I don't like you. I knew it! I knew it! And with that, Juba lost all access to the station computer. The clamp somehow clamped down harder, and all the lights in the station turned security crimson. Monitors blazed with harsh yellow letters asking them to stay where they are and await the security team. Boss man, I'm locked out. No more slicing tricks today. And it looks like that security shuttle is docking. Trey's processors blaze through possible plans. What has made him an effective captain isn't his ability to come up with a pristine plan. It's his ability to pivot when the heat is on. New plan. Instead of getting into the container, we're going to take the whole thing. You blow a hole in the warehouse instead of charge in the container clamp. Drop it through and pick it up. Vivi, do you copy? We're going to smash and grab. Vivi is VV88, the crew's pilot droid and the person that Trey trusts more than anyone. These two are the anchor of this crew, and they've been traveling the stars together for decades. Okie dokie. Juba, Karage, set the charges. Forza and I will buy you some time. Copy. 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 A new clock has started called Send the Container to Space. Juba hops onto Karage's shoulder and the two charge down the spoke. Meanwhile, the security shovel gawks, and two security officers wearing brown uniforms with darker brown plasteel armor plates step out. 
One carries a blaster rifle, though it keeps it pointed at the ground so as not to alarm the customer. The other one has a data pad. Forza is still disguised as an old human man. His mannerisms look stressed and confused, vulnerable and agitated all at once. Trey takes up a position just behind Forza, acting the part of the loyal droid. Trey knows this is the best place for him to be, as an old friend once told him. Nobody notices the droid. Forza's gonna roll a sway check, which he has two dice in. Knowing that they really need to buy this time, Forza is also going to push himself, taking on two stress and adding an extra dice. Trey is also going to assist at its cost of stress. So it's 4d6 at a risky position. The highest result is a 4, which is a success with a complication. In this case, Juba and Karage will roll from a controlled position, while Trey and Forza's next check will be from a desperate position. What seems to be the issue here, sir? Well, why don't you tell me what the problem is? I'm just up here trying to get my long-past grandmother's cookbook out of a desk in a storage container. Uh, my grandson swore to me that space storage was the best solution so he had more room for his ridiculous speeder garage. And now look at this. Anytime I need to find something, I have to dust off the old ship and haul all the way out here. And now my password isn't even working. I thought this place was supposed to be state-of-the-art and automated. Ugh, sir, as I tried to tell you on the comms, I can resolve this easily if you just present your ID. While Forza fumbles around for an ID he doesn't have, Juba and Karage finish rigging the explosives. First on the hatch door, and then the gravity projectors, and then a microcharge on the clamps to the container. Both of them have done this kind of rigging of charges before. Interestingly, they don't know that about each other. Juba takes the lead on this rig roll, which is at two. She pushes herself, adding another dice, and Karage is going to take on stress to assist, resulting in 4d6 in a controlled position. The highest result is a four, which either allows the team to withdraw and try a different method, or to take a success with a minor complication which is what they're going to do. Just as the security man is about to lose his patience, Juba hits the switch on the first charge. Compact boom shuts off the gravity projector in the area. She then takes the next one, a much bigger boom that blows open an access hatch into space, followed by the last pop that releases the container from the arms. Now, the security team ain't the most elite unit you'd find in private security, but even they're not going to ignore three booms in a row, especially when one of them causes a decompression alert. They run past the old man and the droid, their blasters drawn, leaving their rear completely unguarded. Trey's gonna roll a scrap check, which is the action for all combat in this system. Trey actually has zero dice in this category, so in order for him to roll it at all, he has to push himself and take two stress. The penalty event is he rolls 2d6 and has to take the lower result. Forza is going to assist, however, for one stress, so it ends up being 2d6, take the lower, and then 1d6 rolled plain in a desperate position. And Trey rolls a 6. Trey doesn't like violence, but he's not above it. He knows that the galaxy is dangerous. 
and he knows that his kind are the first to get scrapped when things turn bad. Which is why long ago, Trey installed a pair of blaster pistols into his chassis. Two panels drop open, and the barrels of the blasters extend within the blink of an eye. Two precise shots, and the security men are dead. Fortz's hologram fades, and the crew gathers at the container. But now, boss? Rebreather's on. Vivi, stand by for pickup. Criff, are we riding the container out of here? I have spoken. Karage and Forza leap onto the freed container and push off, navigating it towards a new opening. Karage leads a scramble check with one dice. He pushes himself for a cost of two stress, while Forza assists for one stress, giving him three dice in a controlled position. The highest result is a three. This will result in harm for Karage, but he's going to resist using prowess, which if you remember is four dice, and he rolls a five. This means he'll resist the harm and take one stress. The crew locks themselves to the container and Karage gives it a mighty push straight for the new hole in the side of the warehouse. But the container doesn't go smoothly. Escaping air and fluctuating gravity projectors wobbles its path and it starts to spin on two axes, but no one is about to get flung off the container while Karage is there. He reaches out and grips onto everyone else and uses his impressive strength to keep them all against the hull of the container until the turbulence ends and they're out into open space. Another security shuttle incoming. We're not staying much longer. Bibi, open the ramp and prepare the docking claw. Flying around from the other side of the warehouse is a flying brick. It's a YV-929 Carillion Light Freighter, about as nondescript as it comes. Most of the hull is bare metal or primer paint gray. The only remnants of decoration from its former owner are some patches of fiery orange and the words Tricky Fox painted on the side. The ramp opens at the same time a tow cable is shot out from the ship and onto the container. Vivi uses the Tricky Fox to stabilize the container's spin and starts pulling it towards the ship. Juba, Forza, and Karage leap off the container into the airlock. Trey stays. Someone has to secure the container to the exterior of the ship. Trey rolls over to the connection point to apply the locks. Despite being an astromegatroid, Trey actually doesn't have any dots in rig. So when he attempts this rig check, he has to push himself to get 2d6 and take the lower. At the same time, Vivi is going to assist for the cost of one stress, adding one dice. So the roll is going to be from a risky position, 2d6 take the lower, and 1d6 roll normally. And the final result is a 6. They do it, and they get an extra gambit. Trey and Vivi securely attach the cargo to the ship, and Trey rolls over to an access hatch and gets inside the tricky fox. He immediately makes his way to the cockpit, where the spindly shape of VV-88 is operating a ship with his multiple manipulator arms. That security shuttle is on its way. Get us to the Terminus system. I'll scomp in to help with the calculations. No need. Terminus system, coming up. VV rolls a helm check to see if he can get out unnoticed. He has two dice for helm and pushes himself for two stress, as well as adding one dice for the gambit they just earned. At this point, I finally looked up what a gambit was and decided to use it because extra gambit dice don't carry over to the next adventure. The final roll is 46 from a risky position. The result is a four, which will add an extra heat to the crew. 
We'll talk about heat later, but it's basically trouble from factions. The tricky fox and its haul tip itself upward in space, and the stars turn the lines as it jumps into hyperspace and into the end of our episode. Okay, and that's the end of the first adventure. So, Forge and the Dark games have a similar mechanic for XP, like um, a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games. So, at the end of like the adventure section, uh, you go through all the things and mark the appropriate XP. So, as I said earlier, as I said earlier, if you roll from a desperate position, you get um, to mark an XP in one of the three attribute categories, Insight, Prowess, or Resolve. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six slots in those. And when you fill it up, you get to do something. I actually haven't looked it up yet. Um, but there's also playbook advancement for each individual playbook. And uh, at the end of a session, you go through and you read the questions and you see if anything applied. So I'm just going to go through here. VV88 or VV, who is the pilot, didn't do a whole lot in this episode. And so didn't really gather any XP either for his playbook or for rolling um, in the attributes and the desperate position. From Trey, we had one desperate roll for under prowess. And so he gets one XP marked there. And he also gets one playbook advancement XP because he answered the following question, which was, you address a tough challenge with charm or audacity. And that is for the scoundrel playbook. So because he addressed the challenge of getting the blueprints out of the container by just blowing it up and taking the whole container, he gets an XP for that. Karage's job class playbook is Muscle. Um, he did not roll anything in attributes under Desperate, but he did get one point in the playbook advancement. He addressed a tough challenge with force or threats. So a couple of times he had to just brute force his way uh, through the problems. For Juba, she actually gets two playbook advancement marks. If something happens once in the playbook advancement category, it gets one mark. If it does two or more, it maxes out at two. So in this case, you address a tough challenge with technical skill or ingenuity. So every time she did all the slicing, all the rigging, all that stuff um, was the playbook advancement. She also got one mark in insight for rolling from a desperate position. Forza also got two marks in the playbook advancement for you address a tough challenge with deception or influence. And so that was the multiple times he lied about being an old man. And he also got one for rolling a desperate position in resolve. And that is the XP for that part of the mission. Now, Scum and Villainy has a couple of different phases. And we will go into the next phase of the game on our next episode. So what'd you think? Please, please let me know um, on Blue Sky at Ing Daydreams, uh, Chris at SoulZeroMedia.com. The old email still works, SoulZeroPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, that's pretty much all the best ways you can find me right now. Hopefully you've enjoyed this. If you have questions, if you have comments, if you have suggestions, please let me know. Um, keep an eye on the blog for other updates. The up that is at soulzero.com. That's S I L Z E R O. And until next time, may the force be with you.
Years of working near the Bespin Mitt, blah, 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 blah. I am in. And uh, I am. Oh boy. That's, that's too much throat. I need more nose. I am in. Vivi, open the ramp and prepare the and pop 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 pop. Juba, they've switched off zero G. You're gonna have to have the container be loaded into the access bay. What? Passive voice much? Meanwhile, the security shovel, shovel, 